The smell of rotting flesh distinguished itself amongst the once familiar smells of salted meat, mud, and ripe mangoes that marked the street market of Carfu, Haiti. The odor lured my eyes to a man laying on a wooden board. The man's leg was infested with maggots. so cute you said you had a crochet club i did well we still we still have a crochet club mm-hmm. it is running it is one of my favorite things because i love to crochet so freshman year i had this teacher mrs herda she is my world history teacher and we butted heads a lot because we're the same person basically yeah. <laughs> and she crocheted i didn't know that um i think it was around like it was probably springtime around my springtime around my birthday she crocheted me this scarf this pink scarf that I still had I didn't know that it was crocheted and she gave it to me as a gift and she's like oh I crocheted this and I was so shocked and I'm like we have to start like can you teach me it wasn't really about starting a club it was more so can you teach me how to do this and then the other kids in the class and my friends were like oh we're down so she gave us this paper. She's like, do you guys really want to do this? I'm like, yes, we do. We signed this paper. She went to the board of ed and they said, okay. And we would just meet after school. We would meet virtually during the pandemic and we just crochet. And our main project, our big project was we didn't want to simply just crochet for fun. We wanted to turn it into some sort of like community service. So we had the baby hat project which is basically where we crocheted a bunch of just tiny hats for the NICU at our close hospital town hospital Carmos and we just donated it and then also a cancer uh, patient hat where we just crocheted these little beanies and hats and donate it to mm-hmm. Carmos that was the basis we just crocheted for fun um do some fundraisers and just crochet hats and send them out. Sometimes I remember once Herda saw this uh, Facebook post and she's like, oh my gosh, uh, this young girl, she felt really alone in her birthday and she felt like she was without um, support and friends. She's like, how about we crochet something and send it to her for her birthday? So it was just really us having fun and crocheting, but it really um, influenced me and really instilled this idea that you can turn anything into some sort of community service anything that you do you can do it in a way that it helps other people mm-hmm. and you should that was my crochet club that's I love so it. cute that's so so <laughs> sweet oh my god the thing is I tried crocheting once but then my back started hurting and I was like mm, I don't know about this yeah. I feel like once you get used to it a lot of times it's fun to just like you put on some sort of like romantic comedy movie or any movie that mm-hmm. you like and you just lay back and just you crochet and you're not even thinking about it and then by the time you're done you're like oh I have a scarf I have a hat I have a top so you should try it you should try maybe it maybe I should put on a romantic movie yeah I didn't have I was just hunched <laughs> over doing my crochet god uh, maybe I'll start again you should you should all right. So let's see. You had you another volunteer activity. You were a reading buddy. I was a reading buddy. Oh, it's, it's probably my favorite activity on there. Um, it started, I think, summer after eighth grade year. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, I would go to the library all the time. So we have this program. Well, really, if you break it down, it's a babysitting program because during the summer, 
their kids are no longer in school and parents just can't handle having the kids at home all the time. Mm-hmm. So they bring them to the library. And so the parents would leave the kids with us for about two hours, sometimes four, two to four hours. And for that time, we would just go in and we help them pick out books and we read, the, we read it to them. We teach them how to read. And sometimes for the older kids, I would help them out with their uh, summer uh, work, whether it be their summer reading, their summer math problems, just help the kids out and really just make reading fun. Literature should be fun. It's it's a reflection of our lives. You know, it helps you be more empathetic to other people if you know other people's circumstances. And I love reading Dr. Seuss books to kids. So that was the basis of um, the Reading Buddies, but I really enjoyed it. And I think the main thing about going through an application process, you want to put, you want to be, of course, you want to be strategic about it. You want to put impressive um, extracurriculars, but at the same time, you want to be honest and you want to put things that you love. Um, A lot of my extracurriculars didn't make it on my college application simply because I don't think they fit into the narrative I wanted to create in my college application process or simply because I didn't want to. You only have 10 spaces. So utilize that as like you want. So for the description, I put help children ages 6 to 12 navigate the world of literature through reading and analyzing books, assist in homework and summer work completion. And this was like a summer activity, right? Like school ended. That's a really good way to spend your summer, though. Yeah. Yeah. Now the dreaded NHS. The dreaded NHS. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) All right. Because I'm not in NHS, but like my friends are. And like all I hear is, oh, my God, I need another event. Oh, to an event or I need like I can't find an event. You can't find an event. But I think that is my job as a president because a lot of times the kids are like, oh, I can't find an event. You were president of NHS? I was president of NHS. So it was. Part of my role is, I don't know if that's the same for every school, but part of my role is to help find um, community service hours for kids. Mm-hmm. So I had a lot of contacts, whether it be in this town or other towns, uh, the town coordinator, the mayor. So, and they would also have my email. So they would be emailing me. I remember um, towards the end of the school year, I got this email, I think it was for like a wedding and they needed people at the wedding to say, hey, does NHS want to help out for a wedding? Like, you guys will get hours. <laughs> so it was just my job to find community service hours and bring it to everyone, making an agenda. Funny story. I was not supposed to be president of NHS. By that, I mean, I was not going to go for it because you get accepted into NHS and then um, you're supposed to be nominated. This is how our school do it, like a member of the club. Mm-hmm. or organization nominates you and you run for president. I was not going to run because another one of my friends was supposed to run and I wanted her to win. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, okay, I'm not going to run. And then during the meeting, my friend, one of my friends, Isabella nominated me and people supported the nomination. And here I was running. And in about 30 minutes, I was the president of NHS. And I was so shocked till this damn like Isabella, if you did not nominate me, I would not have been president of NHS. So I'm thankful for that. But that is a funny story. Um, I really liked NHS. Um, and it was a lot of work. At our school, you have to do 60 hours of community service. And then 15 
for um, helping kids out. So for tutoring, 15 hours of tutoring, we didn't do the 15 hours of tutoring this year because we're coming back to in-person learning and it was tricky to figure out. So we got rid of that. But for the 60 hours, I am in charge of basically reminding everyone and of finding hours for everyone. My vice president is in charge of basically taking um, into consideration the hours and making sure everyone is on track. We did a lot of activities, um, whether it be town or school activities, and I and we did a lot of fundraisers. And I'm in charge of getting everything for the fundraisers and organizing it. So it was a lot of work for us officers. So that's why I thought it was relevant to put it down in my activity section, even though it's not even in the first five, but I wanted to put it down there. So I think if you are part of NHS and you do a lot in the club, you should put it down in your activity section. But if you don't think you do a lot of NHS, then you can just leave it in your honor section. So for description, I put down oversee monthly meetings, plan and find community service projects for the group, organize fundraisers, and provide tutoring for the student body. That was the basis of it. Yeah, I know NHS, it's like, the logistics in general it's a pain you don't realize how much goes into that <laughs> absolutely all right. all right so i have two more activities that you listed um one was you were part of the women's empowerment club and then you were also you mentioned like various activities that you were yeah part of in your church as and, well yes so i have a church category um for the church category i put team usher and assistance to the women of the church um, my aunt is really involved in children's ministry and I'm a Christian, about Christian. I'm at church. I used to be at church three times a week, <laughs> but now it's less. Um, so I was really, really involved. So during the service, you would be there, uh, collecting thighs or, uh, welcoming the people, um, or also when the pastor is, you know, giving the sermon and he's just sweating and he he's and his part. So you're there give him the water, give him, you're just there to really serve the people. And if during the sermon, a kid is crying, you'll take the kid away from the mother, bring the kid out, play with the kid, feed the kid so that, you know, the mother can enjoy the service and really get what they need for their faith. That was the teen usher part. And during the summer, the women of the church, we have this yearly fundraiser where we make food and sell it in order to provide funding for the church. So during that time I would go, I would help sell the food or I would help babysit the kids or clean. That was my part. I thought it was relevant because my faith is really important to me. And for the Women's Empowerment Club, it was just a bunch of girls sitting down talking about how much we hate men. I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But um, we... We studied what it means to be a feminist, really, and what feminism means to every single person. And by the end of the club, I found out that I was no longer a feminist. I was a womanist in the sense that I felt like the idea of feminism in America really surrounded Black, white women and excluded Black women and our experiences and that's where I came about with the womanist idea. But we also just, it was a space to uplift women and to really just um, aid in humanitarian endeavors. There's a women's club in town. So we would go and meet with them and help out in community service. 
um, whatever it may be. Um, that was the basis of our club. And I really loved it because if you pay attention nowadays, women are really taking over the world. And a lot of my AP courses and a lot of my extracurriculars, for example, this year, I was president of the chests. I was valedictorian. The salutatorian was a girl. The SGO president was a girl. And the student body president was a girl. So we, we really ran who run the world girls. We really ran our school. So it was a space to uplift the girls and say that, yes, you can, you can do anything and to just provide support in any way that may be. That was, that's it for my extracurricular section. All right. So now that we got through that, we can do your, um, like, you know, the boring stuff like grades and stuff. So you said you're valedictorian, so your grades were, you know, I'm guessing they were good. <laughs> no, I'm guessing. I'm just, just a guess. Just, just a little hunch I have, you know. Also, Harvard <laughs> admit too. So, so can you just quickly give give us your unweighted GPA? So the one out of four point and then yeah. the GPA. And every school does a different scale. So, like you know, yeah. 5, 5.0 So, can you give us the scale that you did there, and then also how many AP classes that you t- took in the end? All right. So overall, I had a four point. Or O2 GPA. I'm looking at my transcript right now, that's why. But at the end of my junior year, I had a 4.531 GPA. We don't do unweighted at my school, so I don't know what my unweighted GPA is. I only know what my weighted GPA is. And like I previously mentioned, uh, we're only allowed to take AP classes from junior to senior year. So yeah. freshman and sophomore year, you're not allowed to take classes. But all of my classes have been honors, honor classes um, in freshman and sophomore year. And then junior year, I took a couple of, I took a couple, I took, I took quite a bit of AP classes. And in my senior year, I also took all AP classes for my main course. I can expound on that if you want, like the specific classes. Do you want me to? Um, were they like, I think I get an idea. Most of us get like, it's like basic, you know, the math, science yeah. and stuff. But in total, how many like APs did you have? Seven. Seven? Okay. Seven. Having to do with, APs. With, which is, when you talk to other people, specifically people who are going to like top 10 schools and in different like states, some of them have like 10 AP oh, yeah. classes. They have like 20 AP classes because their school allowed them to take AP classes since like freshman year. Um, But my school, only juniors and seniors are allowed to. So really take everything that I say with a grain of salt because your school is different. So and these colleges know that as well. Uh, They know that your school is different. So maybe seven AP classes is not impressive when compared to someone who had 20, mm-hmm. but in the context of my school, it is. And they know what your school provides. Um, that was the basis of it. I took just all the basic AP, AP Lang, AP Lit, AP Push, AP Physics, AP Chem, AP Calc BC, just all of the basics and all the sciences. I took them all. Um, that was it. I did not go in with an SAT. I oh did not even goodness. take the SAT. Okay. I think we can get to the grades portion in this this 10-minute limit. So all right. Perfect. Okay, so you, you did not take the SAT or ACT? I did not take the SAT or ACT. I knew that I did not want to take it 
my junior year when my senior friends got into schools without any, well, well, they they got into school test optional. That is the proper way of saying it. So I'm like, oh, I'm not taking it. I'll focus on my grades Mm -hmm. and I'll focus on my extracurriculars, which was a good thing because senior year was stressful. Um, So I did not take it. And I don't think you need to take it. You will find a lot of college advisors, uh, whether it be on TikTok or elsewhere, telling you that you need to. I don't think you need to, depending on your circumstances. I personally think I had a competitive GPA. So the SAT would not have made that much of a difference. And it didn't for me. But for one of my friends, he did not have a competitive GPA. So he studied for the SAT and got a nearly perfect score. And he also got into an Ivy League. So if I think it's your SAT and your GPA, it's really just for the admission officer to gauge how you would handle the rigor at their specific institution. Mm -hmm. So If you want to take the SAT, take it. And if you do well, that is amazing. But if you don't do well as well, that is fine. Um, You will find find that your grades are not really the things that will get you in to the school. No, you're right. Like it's a case by case basis. So like you got to carefully evaluate your services. Yes. And also we live in a society where everyone is smart. That's how I see it. I don't think that intelligence is rare, is a rarity. I think everyone is smarter in their own way. And I don't think that in the society that we live now, the technology and the access to resources that we have, it's not rare. And it, and that means that it's also not impressive, not as impressive. Mm-hmm. What are your interests? How does your mind work? Um, what have you contributed to your um, community How have you taken advantage of the resources that your specific community provides? How do you think? Who who are you as an individual? Are you charismatic? Are you not? Those will absolutely influence your college application a lot more. True, true. True, 100%. (laughs) So honestly, I don't like talking about grades and stuff. So we're done. That's it. We know your GPA. We know you. I don't don't like talking about grades. (laughs) Set the transcript aside. Let's talk about other things. Good, because I don't want to talk about AP Calc. Let's just not talk about. No, we're not going to talk about him. (laughs) I'm going into BC this year. I've heard bad things and only bad things. As someone who just finished Calc BC, disgusting. Absolutely (laughs) disgusting. Um. You know, it's fun in the beginning with like integration and stuff, but it, it, it just gets progressively worse. Yeah. Yeah. But you, you'll do great. You'll do great. Don't go. <laughs> don't go with the mindset of, oh my gosh, I won't do amazing. You'll do great. You know, people that I thought were like really smart and stuff, like how known to be like really good at math, they're like walking out uh-huh. with like C's and I'm like. Imagine someone who's president. Of the math club. Oh, girl. Not doing well. Do you know how bad that was for my reputation? <laughs> but like going into Cog BC, I was so confident because I've always been better at math. And this year taught me that humanities is it for me, you know, writing and reading <laughs> is it because I did not do too good. Um, well, to my standards, I did not do too good. I ended up with a D average for the year mm-hmm. for Calc BC. And I don't think that's 
ever happened for me. So that was, that was hard. Um, I failed some tests. I did. Let me be honest, but Hey, I graduated. <laughs> I'm going to my dream school. It worked. It, it all works out. Don't, oh, don't well, like one of my classmates, she was, she was, took out BC already. Uh-huh. I think she got like 40 something on one test. And then when she got like 80 or something, her teacher was like, you doubled your score. I'm like, that's not <laughs> something to be proud of. <laughs> oh my gosh. I remember what my, what my teacher did is she would drop the lowest grade because in our class, inevitably someone would get like 10. 10 points or like none on a test. It was so bad, but we were in this together. I feel like trauma bonds. Trauma (laughs) Trauma bonds, yeah. So by the time we were done with the class, we were all just so close and we all shared like a hatred for Cog PC. But I feel like if you have a good math background and you have a good work ethic, you'll be fine. You'll survive. (laughs) on that note note, let's go on to college list you did mention earlier in the interview like you were kind of like should I even make a college list because I don't I don't have my documents right but once you did have those documents how did you go about like creating your list and then you know what were you looking for what did you value in a school and then in the end what did your college list end up being absolutely I valued financial aid if I am honest Um, we no one can afford college nowadays my family is part of that no one category. We absolutely could not afford college. Um, for Like I said before, my mom is supporting me from Haiti. Uh, and the economy there is just non-existent. It, even though she makes a good amount of money, when you convert that to American dollars, it is nothing. It is, oh my, it is truly nothing. So I knew that going into college, I would have to finance it. Mm-hmm. And so I told myself, I'm either going to have, I'm either I have a full ride or I'm going to have to work part-time and get some scholarships and take out some loans so I could pay for my college education. So financial aid was a big f- factor. I knew for the longest time that I wanted to go to Harvard because that was my dream school as it is, I think, everyone's dream school. Um and then for the rest, I have this pyramid idea. I know if you were in, if you were on YouTube during that era where people would make videos, how to get into Harvard, how to get into Columbia, how to get into these top 10 schools. And they talked about the pyramid, but how the bottom of your pyramid should be your safeties, meaning that your list should be comprised of mostly of safety schools or schools that you think you can absolutely get in. And then afterwards you have your reach schools, schools that you love and that have great programs and then your dream school of course so like the ones with really low acceptance rates or simply a school that you really like and that is that will be your dream to go so that's how I went about it I in my senior year I I knew that I was interested in public health for the longest time I always wanted to be a doctor but now everything changed I didn't simply want to provide health I wanted to change how the healthcare system operated. And so, and I wanted to influence population at mass, the black community, the Haitian community. So it really diverged, my interest diverged into public health. So I was really looking into public health programs. Mm -hmm. So these are the schools. A lot of my REACH schools have great public health programs, but also um, I was looking into location. I did not want to dorm. 
Fun fact, but now I'm I'm dorming. I'm going like four hours away. I did not want to dorm. So I was really looking forward to going to an in-state school because I assumed that it would be cheaper to go to a public school and it would be close to home. I learned quickly that private colleges could actually be a lot cheaper for someone with low income than yes. public schools. That is a fact. I received more whether it be merit-based or need-based scholarships from the private schools that I applied to than the public schools. All of the private schools that I applied to are significantly cheaper to go to than any of the public schools that I applied to. People need to realize that. Like People need to realize that in these top 10 colleges, they will pay for everything. For example, starting in, starting August 1st, I will have health insurance for the first time since I've been living in America. Mm-hmm. Harvard did that. They will cover your health insurance. They will cover uh, the, f- the the money that you need for food. They will cover your housing, everything. And on top of that, they will give you extra spending money. So apply to private colleges. If you get in, specifically the top 10 and Ivy League schools, they will really make sure they will pay for everything to make sure that you can come to their schools and really thrive academically. So my list ended up being NJCU, which is New Jersey City University, Montclair State, Rutgers, both the Newark campus and the New Brunswick campus, Pittsburgh University, University of Miami, Boston University, Columbia University, and Harvard. I could go into why I picked each school specifically if you like or so let's do, I mean, safeties are like safety. So I'm sure they were like good programs considering yeah. safety. We can do more like, um, can one thing I really yeah. want to do. Can you elaborate on like the Rutgers? I, I always get, why is there two campuses? Like, what is the difference between the two? Well, one camp, well, when I was applying, um, the New Brunswick campus had more programs and the New Brunswick campus is ranked higher than the Newark campus. So depending on which campus you go to, there are certain programs, whether it be for business or whether it be for public health or any sort of like sciences, some majors one campus might not have. The New Brunswick program is better, mm-hmm. better in the sense that like it's prettier, the campus is prettier, but also they offer you more programs than, well, different programs than the Newark campus. Can you go so between the two campuses? Do you know that? Yes, you can. Okay. You can transfer, but your application is different in the sense that you can get accepted into Newark and not get accepted into Rutgers, New Brunswick. I know people who were not accepted, who got accepted into one, but didn't get accepted into the other. So, okay. All right. And yeah, can you please elaborate on like Harvard, Columbia, Boston University? Like, What about those schools were appealing to you? Oh, wow. You failed to mention University of Miami, and that is the school that has my heart. So I will start with that school, even though I love Harvard. It has my heart in the sense that I I didn't have much help during the college application process. Even though I am not a first-generation college student, I am, my mom went to college in Haiti. So she really had no way of um, helping me throughout this process. And even my aunt and uncle, It was a really busy time, so I didn't have much help. And I remember I reached out to the financial aid office of University of Miami as a prospect student and prospect applicant, and they reached back and they helped me with my Columbia and Harvard Uh financial aid process. So they were really helpful. 
And the campus is just beautiful. And their public health program, they do this um, a field trip where you go to uh, the island of Hispaniola, which is the island where Haiti is located in, and you do work with the healthcare workers there. Mm-hmm. Or you could choose another country or another island and just do an internship there and see how their healthcare system operates. So that really, really, really attracted me to University of Miami. Boston University, I applied also because of their public health program. Mm-hmm. Um, and also I knew that if I got in, I could get a full ride, whether it be need-based or um, mm-hmm. <laughs> merit-based. Columbia University, that is, I, it was never in my radar, even though it's the closest Ivy League. Um, it's I think it's closer than, than Princeton. It might be closer than Princeton, even though in New Jersey, mm-hmm. uh, to me at least. And I remember my well, my senior year, of course, in the fall time, one of my closest friends, Lauren Gines, she was applying to Barnard, which is an all-girls school of Columbia University. Mm-hmm. And she really wanted me to be there with her in college. So she's like, Michelle, I've never thought of Columbia University. I'm like, no. She's like, you should have like, no. If I'm going to apply to an Ivy League, I only care for Harvard. She's like, just, just look into it. So I looked into it and fell in love. I fell in love with the public health program. It has a similar program to University of Miami where you could do like an internship at, in a different country and really get to see how their healthcare um, operates. And it was just, Columbia was just widely impressive to me. So that's how I ended up applying. Fun fact, I applied to Columbia a couple days before the application was due. And I applied to Harvard the day the application was due. Why? Last because minute. I was I was insecure. I was really insecure. I didn't think I was going to get into any Ivy League. So I'm like, what is the point? But my friend Loren was really keen on me applying. And I remember one day she said to me, Michelle, watch. By the time we graduate, your biggest worry and issue will be choosing between Columbia and Harvard. She said, mark my words. And I told her, if that happens, I will take you out to the movies and I will pay for everything. Mm-hmm. Guess who had to pay for the movies? Because it happened. But you got yeah. into Columbia too? I got into Columbia as oh well. Oh my God. So that was that was my um list. And how I came to be, like I said, Harvard before, it -hmm. was my dream school. It was the first college that I ever thought about going into when I first moved to America and also seeing how they're really just really keen on creating a space for Mm -hmm. undocumented immigrants and for just everyone of various income and various backgrounds. So that really attracted me into Harvard, even though they don't have a public health program, they have a history of science, which is the closest to public health program. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I picked Harvard. But these are before we get before we get into that a little bit, can you go through just the rest of your schools and tell us which ones you got accepted, waitlisted and then rejected from? Of course, I got accepted into every single school, um, but Speechless. I was accepted to Columbia with the likely letter 
I don't oh, know okay. if everyone knows what a likely letter is. Basically, these Ivy Leagues, I think also top 10 schools, they will, if you are a really competitive applicant, they will call you or email you in advance and tell you that they really want you at their school. So that's how that happens. And that I will segue into March 18th. March 18th is probably the best day of my life. Mm-hmm. Well, Maybe not, but it was one of the best days of my life. I went to school early that day in a good mood, ended up finding out that I was valedictorian of my class, went home, and University of Miami sent a notification to check my portal, which University of Miami wasn't supposed to give out their decisions until March 31st. Mm-hmm. So it came out of nowhere. I got into University of Miami on a presidential scholarship. And then on my way out to celebrate with my family, I was checking my emails and I saw this Columbia letter and it was just really weird because it just said your application and I didn't check it because I'm like, oh, they're probably asking about financial aid again. They want more documents and I didn't want to click. I'm like, let me just enjoy dinner first. But while I was trying to go through my emails, I accidentally clicked it. And it said, congratulations. And I'm like, what? And basically my admission office said, we really liked your um, application and we think that you're one of the top applicants. Um, Expect to get uh, good words on Ivy Day. Mm -hmm. And my admission officer ended up sending me a handwritten letter, which was just so sweet. And that's how I found out about Columbia. And every other school, I found out, I think, between December and and February. So mm-hmm. from February to March 31st, I was waiting. March 18th, I found out about Columbia. And then on March 31st, like everyone, because I applied regular decision mm-hmm. to Harvard, I found out about Harvard, which is a story within of itself. But- Girl, that's fantastic. Every school, too. I mean, you didn't have, like... Boston, for example, that's not easy school to get into either. That's not an easy school. And oh my, and I I remember thinking, I'm not going to get in because Boston University was like 30% acceptance rate. Now it's like 19. Mm -hmm. And Harvard was like, it was (laughs) 3.4. And Columbia was like right behind it. And I'm like, there's no way. Mm -hmm. And now Harvard is Mm 3.1 because of my application. It's just like, you never know. Yeah. You never know. So apply. That's so incredible. And I'm assuming like the aid worked out well for Harvard. Oh, thank God. The aid worked out well. Um, they're Good covering. Time. It's a full, it's a full ride. Um, but on me. Amazing. Oh my God. So they, they're paying for everything. Like I said, I have health insurance now, which is just, mm-hmm. it's a big deal to me. <laughs> it's a big deal. That's incredible. My God. Um, so they're paying for everything. Columbia also gave me a full ride and I was a Klug scholar, which is why they called me in advance. You're cool. A cool scholar? A Klug scholar. Oh my God. I heard her Coke scholar. I was like, what? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's, uh, scholarships are just rejections for me. I think I've applied to like 20 scholarships. I applied to the Coke scholar. I didn't get it. Mm-hmm. I applied to like 20 different scholarships. I got one out of 20, but I got into all my dream schools with like <laughs> full rides. It's all you need. So it worked out. University of Pittsburgh gave me a diversity scholarship. University mm-hmm. of Miami gave me a presidential. I got some scholarship from Rutgers as well, but but it was nothing big. Montclair gave me a presidential and MJCU gave me a full ride. So that was mine. But it, it was a lot of work. I think for me, the financial aid process 
was a lot harder than the actual application process because mm-hmm. just getting documentation from my mom and the documentation are coming in in French and I have to translate them into English, yeah. send them into the office. And it was just a lot. And the fact that my dad's not in my life, you have to prove that he's not in your life. What? So I had to write a letter explaining my circumstances. I had to get a, either a counselor or a teacher. I got a teacher to write a letter that I was really close to, to really back me up and say, her dad is not in her life because mm-hmm. you can't get a lawyer or a family member to do it because they're biased. Girl. So it was just a whole process. I was rendered to tears a lot of times because of this, but it worked out. Yeah, it's amazing. It worked out. And one more thing I want to do before we end here, big part is your big personal statement, like the 650-ish word essay. Yes. So can you tell us, what did you write about? What was your story? Absolutely. Oh, I love that. What was my story? I was really big on context because like I said before, intelligence is not a rarity. And I wanted the admission officers to know, what. how does my mind work? What is, what is my life circumstances? What is happening with the way I'm thinking with my life circumstances as I am, you know, gaining all these accolades and all these great grades and all the extra fillers, like what is happening behind the scene? I wanted them to get into an insight into who I am. And I remember my, I would say that like my process with writing a personal statement happened the summer um, of before my senior year. My Mm -hmm. uncle bought my cousin this book. It's called On Writing the College Application Essay. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to be a great student and read it. I read like two chapters before putting the book down. But but it taught me some great lessons within two chapters. What I learned for the most part is that for your personal essay, a lot of topics are off limit, but nothing is off limit to you. And the Mm -hmm. sense that like the typical mission trip the typical sport injury. Yeah. A lot of these, they're redundant. You hear them a lot of times on application essays, but what can make a great application essay is you, is your voice, is your perspective, your writing style. So that book taught me that I could literally write about everything and anything, mm-hmm. doesn't matter. And start of my senior year, a lot of my friends, classmates came to me, sent me their essays to edit. So before I even started writing my personal essay, I was reading and editing so many of my classmates. And what it taught me is that you have to be vulnerable. And that scared the heck out of me because it really just grounded me. Oh my gosh, I have to be honest. And I procrastinated a lot of my personal essay. I didn't write it until October. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a lot of procrastination because I was just so intimidated and the final personal essay was actually my third draft. The first one that I wrote was, um, the title was, which means as Haitians, we never want people to know of our reality. And the basis of my essay was, I was trying to create this sort of, because everyone thinks I'm this perfect girl of this perfect life. Mm-hmm. Here I am president of this club, getting great grades. And then through that, I was going to give the admission officer the reality of my life. Why am I the way that I am, the circumstances that I have faced? And I wrote that essay, didn't like it. Wrote a second one about the Black Lives Matter movement. Everyone loved it. I didn't like it. 
So I trashed it even when everyone, even though everyone wanted me to write about it. But I realized that the personal essay is the one and only time you get to influence someone's first, how do you call it? Like first impression of you. A lot of times you meet people and you don't really get to influence how they see you. They just see you a certain way. But this time I get to influence how this person gets to see me as an individual. And I felt like one story wouldn't give them the picture because a lot of times personal essays are simply um, people expounding upon one circumstance, one story. And I'm like, I couldn't do it. Mm -hmm. I couldn't get myself to do it. It felt like, like my writing felt lackluster. So I said, I'm going to approach it my way. So it was more so a theme that brought different stories together. And if I can pull up my essay, I can read you the title. It was with questions come self-discovery. And it really takes the admission officer on a story from when I was six years old to now and how my curiosity has been this string that has connected my life and that has helped me discover who I am Mm -hmm. academically, but also who I am as a person of faith, who I am as a citizen, and who I am as a person. And I could read you the first page, the first paragraph, I could uh-huh. read you. All right. um, it starts with, with questions come self-discovery. The smell of rotting flesh distinguished itself amongst the once familiar smells of salted meat, mud, and ripe mangoes that marked the street market of Carfu, Haiti. The odor lured my eyes to a man laying on a wooden board. The man's leg was infested with maggots. I vocalized my concern to my mother, and she nonchalantly responded, not everyone has the same means as us, baby. Until that Saturday morning, my perception of my country was formed by the sight of the ocean from her porch, the yearly doctor visit, and the dinner I could always anticipate to be on the table at five. I had yet to to understand the reality of most Haitians, but my eyes never ceased to to, to look for the man while my mom shopped for food. I was seven and it is four paragraphs in total. That's the first paragraph and it ends with, I was seven. And then I tell another short story and I ended with, I was 13 and I write another story and I wrote, I was 16. And then the last paragraph, I could read you the last two paragraphs if you like. Sure. Whatever you're comfortable with. I'm Uh rolling. I'm all ears. (laughs) Um, the, last, the second to last paragraph is another story. It starts with, so every, every paragraph starts with a quote, or it just really brings the reader amidst of my circumstances at the time. Mm-hmm. So the last one is, do you know where Maud Arbery is? My cousin's voice broke through the chemistry-induced trance I was in. The details of that day are now lost in the tedious nature of virtual learning. But I remember my cousin extending her hand to play the graphic video for me. The case overtook my mind until race relations and discrimination in America became the topic of every conversation I participated in and nearly the subject of every YouTube and TikTok videos I watched. My cousin's extended hand not only played the video, but lifted a veil of ignorance. Until that day, my experience as an immigrant Black girl was shaped by the diverse communities which surrounded me. 
I had yet to understand the extent of racism minorities face in America, but I was no longer waiting for the extension of a hand. As my own actions propelled me to become enlightened on the plethora of stories that reflected arboreties. I was 16. My incessant, my incessant need to seek the man with a decaying leg evolved into the devotion to understand and ameliorate the healthcare system that serves poverty-stricken countries like Haiti. At seven, I developed an interest in public health. Learning about the cell gave me a glimpse into the unknown, an unknown that I've continued to explore through choosing predominantly science classes. At 13, my desire to understand the inner workings of the world helped expand my faith in God. At 16, my engrossment in Arbery's case provoked the realization that ignorance is not bliss, it's a privilege, a privilege that I should use to bring awareness to the various acts of injustices that plague the Black community. At 17, I recognize my curious nature as the light that has framed my life and will continue to influence all my endeavors. That was so good. So if you listen to love... (laughs) Is that like I know the main thing it's like your first like sentence a like, couple sentences it has to be the most like it has to catch the um, admissions officer's attention or they're just going to glaze over the rest of it absolutely. the beginning was absolutely shocking. so I wanted to talk about how did I come who is Michelle now but I didn't want to tell them who I am now I wanted to tell them who I have been And these, the six-year-old, the 13-year-old, the Mm 16-year-old, their their experiences made me who I am. And their experiences were all prompted by a question. We're all prompted by me being curious. And it developed sympathy. It developed interest in science. It developed um, faith, my faith in God. And it developed who I am now. So I wrote like four stories and made them into one. Mm-hmm. And I kept with the theme of time of my age and it worked. I loved my essay. I think the most important thing is to love what you're writing. Mm-hmm. And the second essay that I love the most is probably my Columbia essay for um, like what experience help you come to this specific major that you chose. And that is my favorite essay that I wrote during the entire process. And Share I with us. I could read it to you if I can find it. Let's say. That is not it. Here we go. All right. So Columbia actually had a lot more essays than Harvard. Columbia had the most essays out of all of the colleges I applied to. And the funny thing is, they asked you, like, what do you do in your off time? And all my friends make fun of me for saying that I watch Barbie Life in the Dream House. That is the only way to spend your free time. <laughs> <laughs> Amongst the various things, I'm like, the college application essay is so intense sometimes. And I want it to be real. Yes, I do all these things. But when I need to be stressed, I also like to watch Barbie Life in the Dream House. And amongst, they asked you to list uh, uh, books that you've read. And I list a bunch of academic books that I read, a bunch of philosophy books that I read, but I also put down the Bible. Mm-hmm. And a lot of my friends didn't agree with that. But I remember going on the Columbia, Columbia College page after having submitted my college application, and they had like a stack of books. And part of that is the Bible. And I'm oh, like, oh go. my 
gosh. Um, I put down that I watched The Vampire Diaries. That's my favorite show. It was just, I was really honest. I wanted to tell, this is who I am. And the essay, that is my favorite essay of all time that I've ever written, um, is, it answers the prompt, for applicants to Columbia College, please tell us what from your current and past experiences, either academic or personal, attracts you specifically to the area of study that you previously noted in the application. Like I said before, I'm a public health pre-med girl. Mm -hmm. So I started my short essay, I think it was 250 words, like this. As a child, no career emerged as the idol of influence for my aspirations. I had questions. Some persecuted my mind more than others. The sum happened to be my responses to witnessing suffering broadened by the health issues that plagued my community in Haiti. But my questions were always disregarded, just like the health of those around me. Black women are seven times more likely to die during childbirth. The apparition of the fact amidst a discussion endued everyone in my health and society academy class with a passion. A passion ignited by a question of the same semblance as those that plagued my childhood. On that early October day, my ardor to address the why behind the occurrence presented was not hindered. I analyzed the heart, the hand, that history of race relation plays in establishing bias within medicine. I acknowledge how genetic makeup and socioeconomic status weigh into determining the health of a demographic. I answered why. The study of public health embodies that unremitting effort which my community lacked growing up. The effort to acknowledge, understand, and prevent suffering brought onto a community through health issues. It is now an effort that I want to contribute to. And that was one of my short essays for Columbia. If there's one thing I want you to take away from this is, it's really a blank page, the college application essay. You can make it whatever you want. If, you, if you've heard, if you've listened to different um, essays, they're really different than mine. You have, right. there's no limit to what you can write. So take a chance, be honest, be vulnerable, um, be passionate. I think what connects us all, what connects all the students at these top schools are their passion, their specific interests. Well, thank you. I know we both we both have to go at noon because this is yes. going on forever. This is a wonderful interview and I hope the people who are listening get something really good out of this. So thank you, Michelle, for coming on today. Have a good rest of your day. Thank you. Thank you. You too. Stay in touch. We'll keep talking. Yep. Bye. Bye. That concludes my interview with Michelle. I hope you enjoyed and I hope you subscribe. Next week, I'll be releasing an interview with Robert and he is a recent graduate of Howard and he is he has a research position now at the NIH. So we discuss his transition from community college to Howard University and then how he came upon his NIH National Institute of Health research position. You do not want to miss that. I hope to see you then. Bye.